Welcome to the podcast of Vertical Life Church. We hope and pray these messages encourage and challenge you to find your glorious purpose in Christ Jesus. For more information, visit us on the web at www.vlchurch.tv. Good morning. How are we doing? You guys all recovered from Resurrection Day and all the Easter festivities? I know we had an awesome week last week. It was amazing to see uh, the house full with, uh, with guests and new people in the house and uh, a few people raise their hands to receive Christ as their Lord and Savior, which was awesome. And we had, we had several come forward for, for prayer and for healing. And, and so my encouragement to you is if you uh, raised your hand and you sought the Lord and, and you had a healing either spiritually, you began a relationship with God, or, or maybe um, you had a breakthrough in, in your life and you had experienced some uh, spiritual healing uh, and breakthrough or maybe physical healing, don't keep that silent. Come and share it with us because we get super encouraged by your testimony. And then I just believe that testimonies aren't meant to be kept silent. That our stories are his story, and when we share his story, it, it builds the faith in other people to believe for greater things and, and for more, and so I encourage you to do that. Um, this week, we are in week three of our series, The 57 Days That Changed the World. Uh, we're looking at the, the, the story, really, that Easter surrounds, is that is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And we're, we've come now through uh, Palm Sunday where he rode triumphantly into Jerusalem and was declared the Messiah. Then he was uh, in the Garden of Gethsemane. He was arrested and betrayed. Friday, he was crucified. Last Sunday, we celebrated the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And now we're in the next uh, part of the story, the part that now takes us from these pivotal moments into the, the period of time where the world began to turn upside down. And, and so this isn't often, you know, what we look at during this, this season, but um, one thing that I look at is that when Jesus said, it is finished on the cross, how many of you know his work was accomplished? Amen. Right? The, the saving work, which, what God had sent him to do, what the Father had sent Christ to do, he fulfilled perfectly. And when he was nailed on the cross and he said, it is finished, that salvation work was done. But when he rose from the dead, he still had some stuff he had to do. There were, there were some loose ends because if he didn't come back and he didn't, he didn't uh, perform these things, then the effect of the work he did on the cross may not have taken root in the world. So the work he did on the cross was complete. It was finished. But now we're going to look at kind of what he accomplishes, what he does through the resurrection what he's able to tie up these loose ends. And we can really break down these three things, these three problems that Jesus comes to, to solve after the resurrection in really three ways. The three issues are this, faithlessness, forgiveness, and family. Faithlessness, forgiveness, and family. So we're going to look at the, the first one. Before we do, we're going to pray. We're going to ask the Lord to just uh, speak to us this morning. Lord God, we thank you. Again, we just praise your name. 
We, we praise you, God, for your abundant grace and mercy that Jesus did come into this earth. He lived 33 sinless years on this planet. God, he gave himself as a perfect sacrifice, and he rose from the dead. And when he ascended into heaven, he appeared before your very throne. He offered his own blood on the altar, God, and he wiped the sin away. He wiped our stains away. And so, God, we just rejoice that, that the lamb who was slain before the foundation of the world is worthy now and forever to receive honor, power, and blessing forever and ever. Amen. God, we declare holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And this morning, as we look at, at the appearances of Jesus as after he rose from the dead, God, we pray that you give us eyes to see, ears to hear, a mind that understands, and a heart that can receive and believe everything that you have for us. And may we leave here a little differently than the way we walked in. And all God's people said, amen and amen. Uh, man, this is, this is going to be good. Um, the first thing that we look at after Jesus rises from the dead is faithlessness. It, it was an issue that, that was plaguing his disciples. Now in Acts 1-3, here's what Luke records in the book of Acts. It says that Jesus presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs. Somebody say many proofs. Okay, so appearing to them for 40 days and speaking to them about the kingdom of God. So when he rose from the dead, over the next 40 days, he shows up a bunch of times. We're not even given all of the accounts that, that in Scripture that he shows up. Uh, Paul in 1 Corinthians 15 even talks about these other appearances and things that he did and gives us lists of things that Jesus did. John, at the end of his gospel, as he's writing about the resurrection, he said, Jesus went on to do so many things that if we were to write them all down, the libraries of the world couldn't contain the books, right? So we're not given every appearance Jesus had in the, in the Bible. We're not told everything Jesus ever did or said in the Bible. But the things that we are shown are there for a purpose. They're there for us to kind of, kind of pull truth from and to receive something from the Lord. And what Luke is telling us right here is that when Jesus appeared to his disciples, he was doing it with incontrovertible truth. These many proofs. He was not doing it in a way that you could just excuse it away, explain it away, pretend like it was a figment of your imagination. No, he did it so that there was beyond a shadow of a doubt. There was no doubt in the minds of those that saw him that they had seen and encountered the risen Lord. And so when skeptics today say, you know what, Jesus didn't really rise, some, you know, maybe someone stole the body, and, it, and because they didn't see the body, they thought that he wasn't there, or all these different uh, excuses as to why Jesus couldn't rise from the dead. But here the scripture says, look, if you had been there, you would have believed it. You would have had every evidence in the world, and we're going to look at some of these, these things. So faithlessness was the first issue he came to address. And we already saw last week when Jesus arose, the first um, people, the first group he appeared to was the women. They went to the tomb. The tomb was empty. Mary Magdalene was there with all the other women. They saw the angels. And what was the instruction? Jesus said, go back and tell the disciples. Go back and tell them what you saw and, and tell them that I'm going ahead of you. Uh, I'm going ahead of you and I'm going to appear to them in Galilee. So he already gave them this instruction. Go and tell these disciples, I'm alive just like I said I would be. I came back, and I'm going to be where I told them I'm going to meet them, and that's in Galilee. And so they go back, and they tell the disciples, and what did they do? They didn't believe them. 
They thought the story, they were making up stories. That the Bible says they thought they were giving them idle tales. And so here, they're like, he's alive. Like, we saw him. Like, you're making that up. You're making it up. But, but think about you being in their, in their place, right? You just watched your best friend horrifically murdered before your very eyes. And people don't just rise from the dead. Right? So, so you're in this moment. You're devastated emotionally. You're, you're grieving the loss of a friend. You're grieving this thing. You thought you were going to be a part of the reestablishment of the kingdom of God. And here all your hopes seem shattered in a moment. And because the Pharisees, the religious leaders, were able to kill your leader, now you're in fear that maybe they're coming after you. So they weren't real excited to, to go and investigate for themselves. They were f filled with unbelief. They were filled with faithlessness. So before Jesus' death, when he says, I'm going to meet you in Galilee, the expectation was they would go meet him in Galilee. But because of their unbelief, they weren't going anywhere. So something had to happen to get them back into the will of God. And in John chapter 20, verses 19 and 20, here's what it says. It says, Sunday evening. So that night, Jesus rises from the dead. It's that night. Right? The women said, he's going to meet us in Galilee. Let's go. And they're like, nope, we ain't going anywhere. So out of the grace, think how gracious God is. Think how gracious Jesus is. Like, he has no reason to be this good to us. But th that night, following the resurrection, the disciples were meeting behind locked doors. Right? They were freaked out. Because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders. Suddenly... You think they were afraid of the Jewish leaders. Here they're in a room. The door is locked. And poof, Jesus shows up in the room. Like, ain't nobody, ain't nobody got dry drawers in this moment. You know. You know, if you were there and you're just hanging out, all of a sudden, boom, you're just like, <gasps> ooh. You know, it's just like, like, a little warning would have been nice, Jesus. So Jesus shows up, and he doesn't just shows up. He speaks to him. He says, peace be with you. Don't be afraid. Like, what's, like in the modern day, I'd, I'd be like, what's wrong with you guys? Don't you know who I am? Didn't you see me walk on water? Didn't you see me calm the storm? Didn't you see me raise Lazarus? Didn't you see all this stuff? Don't you know that everything I told you has come to pass? I told you this stuff. So quit, quit shaking in your boots. Quit being afraid. Peace be to you. And as he spoke, he showed them the wounds in his hands and in his side. And what does it say? They were filled with joy when they saw the Lord. So they're freaked out. They're behind locked doors. Jesus shows up. They all have to change their shorts. But then when he shows them the incontrovertible truth, the undeniable truth, it's him. The scars, the wounds, they're filled with joy. So the disciples were teetering in the same fashion of unbelief, of, of denial. If you think of uh, just the nation of Israel when they crossed the Red Sea, it's, you know, we, I have so much compassion and grace for the people in the Bible because we often look at them, we, we categorize them differently than we do ourselves. We look at the people with great faith and think they're superhuman, and we think of the people that really mess up when we think they're an extra kind of messed up. 
but they're just like we are. So in Exodus, after they cross the Red Sea, right, they, they see the Red Sea part. Like, put yourself there. The Red Sea parts, and the ground that should be saturated is dry, and about two million Jews who are held in captivity leave with all their slave owner's stuff, like they're loaded with jewels and riches, and they're walking on dry ground, crossing the Red Sea to the other side on their way to freedom. And then they get there. God closes the ocean over the enemy, destroys their enemy, and they're all partying and celebrating. Oh, isn't God good? Isn't God good? And then all of a sudden, they get over to the other side, and they look out, and instead of this paradise, they see nothing but rocks and dirt. There's not a well, there's not a tree in sight, there's not an oasis in sight, and they start worrying about how, where they're going to get their drink from, where they're going to get their food from, and they start going to Moses, and, and it's not long before they're complaining, and they're like, Moses, what happened? Did you bring us here to die? Like, what, what is the deal? In Exodus 17, verses 6 and 7, Moses goes to God, and he, he brings their petition before the Lord, and here's what the Lord says, and Moses goes to the Lord in verse 6. He's, God responds to him. He says, I'll stand before you on the rock in Horeb, and you shall strike the rock, and water shall come out of it, and the people will drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders in all of Israel. And he called the name of the place Massa and Meribah because of the quarreling of the people of Israel, because they tested the Lord by saying, is the Lord among us or not? Like how thick do you have to be, right? He's with you. Do you not see the pillar of fire at night and the cloud by day? Like, he's not gone anywhere. But the moment they got uncomfortable, the moment things weren't going according to plan, they started doubting if God was even with them. And if you remember Palm Sunday, what was the reason why the crowd turned on Jesus? It's because of failed expectations. And the disciples of Christ, they were among that same crowd. They had this idea that when Messiah came, the kingdom was coming. Israel was going to be reestablished. God was going to reign on the earth. And here they've been walking with Jesus for three years. And they're thinking, and we're his inner circle. And he gets killed amongst all the things that they had seen. And they're teetering with the same unbelief that Israel was when they crossed the Red Sea. They didn't believe the women. They struggled to make sense of the empty tomb. And they were teetering on unbelief. They had seen Lazarus. They had seen all the miracles. But yet, in this moment, they had no faith. And so Jesus appears to them. So what this encounter did, if you think about Jesus showing up in the moment, showing them his hands and the wounds in his side, in John 20, 20, it says, as he spoke to them, he showed them the wounds in his hands and his side, and they were filled with joy when they saw the Lord. The moment they saw the Lord, there was a shift in their spirit. The moment they saw him, there was a shift. And, and I know Thomas gets a bad rap, right? Thomas has a nickname. Does anybody know what it is? Doubting Thomas. I feel so bad for Thomas because he's not the only one who doubted. He's just the only one who, it's recorded, had a conversation, said, I'm unwilling to believe until I see him with my own eyes. And, and here Thomas wasn't in this moment where Jesus appeared, so we didn't get to see him. But they were all doubting too. We should just call them the doubting disciples. 
Thomas was the only, wasn't the only one doubting, but yet the Lord is gracious to him also because eight days later, after this moment, he appears to them again in John 20, verses 26 and 27. It says, eight days later, they were together again. This time, Thomas was with them. He wasn't out getting pizza or whatever he did the first time. Missed, missed the moment. The doors were locked again. They're still scared, right? So Jesus is like, peace be with you guys. It's going to be okay. But he's not there in that moment. And boy, they get scared again. It wasn't long again. They're, they're freaking out. But suddenly, just as before, Jesus was standing among them. Poof. Oh, dang it. I just got this new pair of underwear. Now I got to go change them again. Right? He just shows up. Peace be with you, he says again. And then he turns to Thomas and he says, put your finger here and look at my hands. Put your hand into my wound, don't, into my side. Don't be faithless any longer. Don't be faithless any longer. Believe, y'all. Don't be faithless any longer. Believe. And then what's Thomas' response? My Lord and my God. When Thomas saw Jesus and had a shift in his spirit, he was filled with awe and wonder. See, the problem the disciples had was faithlessness, but you know what cured it? It's revelation. They had faithlessness, but what cured it was revelation. When the risen Lord was revealed to the disciples, their mourning was turned into rejoicing their fear was turned into courage, and it positioned them to move forward in obedience to the Lord. And when you and I are going through a difficult season, and when we're going through a, a, a circumstance where we feel like God is distant, he's not close, he's not around, and we feel like locking the door, really we feel like locking people out of our lives because we're afraid, and we just want to isolate stay hidden. We're having trouble making sense of our lives or what we believe. Y'all, don't sit in your doubt. Don't sit in your discouragement. Seek revelation. Romans 10, 17, it says, faith comes by hearing and hearing the good news about Christ. What's the good news? He's alive! Woo! He's alive! And alive forevermore. When you turn your heart to the good news of Christ, that he's alive, that his promises are true, that he's with you, he'll give you the strength to endure. You will overcome your trials and tribulations because greater is he that's in you than he that is in the world. And even in the depth of the greatness of your weakness, Paul says you can rejoice in your weakness because in your weakness his strength is made perfect. His resurrection means everything. You see, it's easy to believe when we have revelation. But sometimes, as it says in Proverbs, without vision, the people perish. Sometimes we lose sight of the vision. Sometimes we lose sight of the revelation. But let me encourage you that, that even his disciples that walked with him, that talked with him, that lived with him, that ate with him, that, that saw him do all these wonderful things, they still struggled with their faith. But when they saw the risen Lord, it changed everything. 
Jesus tells Thomas after revealing himself to him and after Thomas makes this statement, man, you're, the, you're my Lord and my God. John 20, 29, Jesus says, you believe because you've seen me, but blessed are those who believe who haven't seen. There is a blessing on your life if you remain faithful when you're waiting on revelation to come. When you're waiting on the revelation, even in the midst of uncertainty, you stay faithful, you stay patient, you stay strong, you stay in that position of prayer, you keep seeking, you keep waiting, you keep following. Faith is going to rise and you are going to receive a blessing. Faith is the substance of what we hope for. It, it's the byproduct of, of hope driving our lives and driving what we think, what we believe, and what we do. And there is a breakthrough coming. I believe God has appointed a breakthrough for every circumstance, every problem, every trial. There's a breakthrough in revelation, but there's a special blessing for faithfulness when you're in that period of waiting. When you're waiting for revelation, my, my wife quoted it earlier. It says, those who are weak, those who are tired and weary will renew their strength when they what? Wait on the Lord. Wait on the Lord. Right? He will renew your strength. So wait, I say. There is a promise of blessing for those who remain faithful. Number two, the other problem Jesus came to address the loose end he had to tie up was the issue of forgiveness. The issue of forgiveness. There, there, there's this thing that was preventing his disciples from, from becoming and following the plan that he had for them. Again, when Jesus appeared to the tomb, he went and, and again, he had them go and tell the disciples and he said something specific in Mark 16, 7. In his instructions, he told them, now go and tell them that I'm alive. I'm going ahead to Galilee. But look what it says in Mark 16, 7. Now go and tell his disciples, including who? Including Peter, that Jesus is going ahead of you. You'll see him there just as he told you before he died. Like, he already told you this. You guys know this. He's going. Tell the disciples, but also tell Peter. So after they come back, and they're on this disbelief, a couple other disciples, they're on their way to a city called Emmaus, and, and they're just distraught about what happened, the fact that Jesus died, he was crucified, and Jesus appears to them, and he kind of disguises himself. So not only can Jesus just appear out of nowhere, he can also make himself look different. Jesus has a heck of a sense of humor. I mean... I'd get in trouble if I had that ability. I'm just going to say, I get in a lot of trouble. But he disguises himself, and he listens to what they're going, these guys are saying, and he kind of says, hey, man, what are you talking about? And they're like, haven't you heard what happened? The news is the worst thing in the world. The Messiah was killed, and now we don't know what to do. And they're kind of whining to him, and he's, and he's kind of rebukes them a little bit, and he takes them all the way back to the Old Testament, and he walks them through every place in the Old Testament that prophesied about the Messiah, who he was, what he would do, what he had to accomplish, and it said their hearts burned within them as they heard him teach. And then they sit down to have a meal, and instantly their eyes are open, and they recognize it's Jesus who's with them. And so they run back to the disciples to go report, man, we just saw Jesus. He, he, he's alive. And he's reporting to them, and the same thing kind of happens. Some of them struggle with belief, but look at how they respond in Luke 24, 33. 
says, and within the hour, they were on their way back to Jerusalem. They, there they found the 11 disciples and the others who had gathered with them who said, the Lord has really risen. He appeared to who? Peter. Now, we don't have a record of this appearance to Peter. So the women were told to go tell the disciples and Peter. Now when they come back and say, no, Jesus is arisen. We've seen him for ourselves. They're like, yeah, we know. And he appeared to Peter. Something was up with Peter. Like, there was a reason why that Peter was a focus of the appearance. Now, again, we're not told about this, this encounter, but do you remember what Peter said to Jesus the first time that he saw him when he called him to be a disciple, when they were on the fishing boat and they threw the net over the side and the, the boat was filled with fish? Do you remember what he said? He knelt down before him and he said, depart from me, I am a man of sin. I'm, I, I am an unworthy man, depart from me. Peter has always had an issue with guilt and shame and condemnation. And you look through the story and you see how he's always tried to overcompensate for the shame that has followed him around his whole life. Even that moment in the garden where they're trying to arrest him and he pulls the knife out and he cuts off the ear of the servant. He's trying to defend Jesus. Jesus had told him, look, you're going to deny me three times. And Peter has that pride rise up. And he's like, oh, no, I'm not. And so he tries to defend the Lord. And, and he cuts the servant's ear off. And Jesus he heals the ear of the servant, has him drop the sword. And then he goes on to actually deny Jesus three times. Can you imagine being Peter in that moment, in the midst of that, that circumstance, this one you, you've been with, the one you've dedicated your life to, you've sworn, I'm, I will go with you even to death. I will die for you. And in that moment where you have the opportunity, you deny him to his face. And the last time he sees you do it. And you're already dealing with shame and guilt and how big of a mess you are. I can imagine... It's not in Scripture, but I can imagine Jesus appearing to Peter, Peter seeing him, and rather running to him, he runs as far away from him as he can. I'm unworthy. I messed up. How could you ever love me again? How could you ever want anything to do with me ever again? I denied you three times when you needed me most. So Jesus... Sets up another encounter with Peter at the Sea of Galilee, right where he said he was going to show up to his disciples. So Peter, at this point, he's with the disciples. Many scholars believe that after he denied Jesus, Peter quit the group. Because here, even though they're at the Sea of Galilee, what's Peter doing? He's fishing again. Rather than doing the ministry, he gets six of the other guys together, and they go fishing, and they fish all night long, and guess how many fish they catch? <laughs> Just like the first time he met Jesus. And so they're, they're finishing up in the morning. They're heading over to, to shore, and they see this dude on, on the, the bank of the shore. He's got a fire going, and he calls out to him. He says, you guys have any luck? And they're like, nope. And you know how you feel when you're out all night long struggling and you catch nothing? You don't want to talk to nobody. Leave me alone. Shut up. You know, I don't want to talk to you. And he's like, why don't you throw the net over the side for a catch? And you know in that moment they're thinking, this sounds real familiar. 
That's a little deja vu happening. Okay, well, we'll do it. And they throw the boat, the net over the side, and it says that the net instantly fills with fish, not just fish, large fish. And they're amazed that the net's not even tearing. So not only does Jesus miraculously fill the net with fish, he makes it stronger than it's able to be so it can contain the blessing. Do you realize when God pours out a blessing, he also equips you to receive it? When God does something in your life and you feel not good enough, not strong enough, not capable enough, he's there with you so that you can do the thing he's put in your life, that you can receive it. In John 21, beginning in verse 15, as they get to shore or as they're dealing with the fish, it says, after breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter again, like as soon as the net fills with fish, Peter's like, oh, I know who this is. This is Jesus. But something shifted in it. Because rather than waiting for the boat to get to shore, he puts his shirt on, he jumps in the water, and he swims to the Lord. So there's something transpired with Peter from the time Jesus appeared the first time to this time. And so he's here having a conversation with Jesus, and Jesus says to Peter in verse 15, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Now, it's not real specific, but I don't know if he's talking about the other disciples. Do you love me more than these guys love me? Or if he's talking about the fish, like, this is a lot of fish, and that's a lot of money. Do you love me more than this? Like, I called you to do something. You're, not, you're back doing the fish. Do you love me more than fishing? Do you love me more than these guys? And the Lord Peter said, you know I love you. So he says, feed my lambs. Jesus repeated the question, Simon, son of John, do you, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know I love you. And he says, then take care of my sheep. You're not called the fish for fish. Verse 17, a third time he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was what? He was hurt because guess what? He knew what God was doing. He knew what the Lord was doing. You're asking me a question three times. He said, Lord, you know everything and you know I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. For I tell you the truth, when you were young, you were able to do as you liked. You dressed yourself and went wherever you wanted to go. You were in charge of your life. But when you're old, you'll stretch out your hands and others will dress you and take you where you don't want to go. And here's the interesting thing. Jesus said this to let him know by what kind of death he would glorify God. He used that illustration to tell him, you are going to give your life for me. Do you remember what Peter said at the betrayal? Lord, I will go with you even to what? Death. When he had the opportunity, did he do it? No, he denied the Lord. What Jesus is doing in this moment, he is redeeming the three times. He is taking him through some inner healing to restore the three times he betrayed him. And he's saying, that vow you made to me, that, that heart that's in you, that you think that you, you failed, that you aren't who you really think you are, no, you are that person. And you will do that. That wasn't your time. But there's a day coming. There's a day appointed where you are going to do the very thing that you said that you would do because you're the man I know. You're the man I called. And I have foreseen it, and I'm restoring you to who you were meant to be. Since Peter couldn't forgive himself, he couldn't follow 
Jesus' will for his life. And many of us struggle with that same thing. We've got so much guilt, so much shame, so much baggage that we carry, we don't feel confident enough to step into what God's called us to do. And so what Jesus does is he heals our broken hearts so that we can be who he's always known us to be. Like, he's, he knew us before he created the world. He knew us before he breathed life into Adam. He knew us before he decided what kind of trees were going to exist. He knew us before he carved the path for the oceans, and he decided what mountains were going to be where. He knew us, and he knew what he wanted us to do. And a lot, a lot of times what's in the way is this issue of guilt and shame and failure. But Peter's failure didn't catch Jesus by surprise. He knew he was going to do it. That's why he told him, you're going to fail me. You're going to deny me three times. Jesus already knew, and he called him anyway. Think about what that means for your life, to know that you've been called by God for a great purpose, for a, a mission in the kingdom of God, and he knew what you were going to do, and he called you anyway. How amazing is our God? How much love and grace and compassion does he have for us? Jesus was going to take this moment in Peter's life as he's restoring Peter and use it for good to make him more humble, to make him a better man, a better disciple, and a better leader. And you know what he does in verse 19? He says some of the most powerful words to Peter in that moment. It says, Jesus said this to let him know what kind of death he would glorify God. And then he told him what? Follow me. It's the same thing he said to him the first time he filled the boat with fish. Follow me. Well, since Peter had a hard time forgiving himself, the Lord helped him do it. To see that he's restored, that he's forgiven. And what Jesus is showing Peter is that his failure wasn't greater than God's faithfulness. Jesus, in this appearance, restored Peter to his identity and his calling as an apostle of Jesus Christ. And I would say this to you as well. What the resurrection of Christ speaks to us is that we have a calling, we have an identity, we have a mission. And if Jesus is risen from the dead, then the same power that raised him up is the same thing that's going to give us strength to do everything God's called us to do. Lastly, number three, the third issue Jesus had to fix was family. And how many of you know family problems are major problems? It's like the biggest doozy, right? And you would think because he's Jesus, he wouldn't have any family problems. But Jesus had some major issues in his family. Over the 40 days as he's appearing, you know, he had a problem with his family. You see, Joseph and Mary, after the Christmas story, continued to have children. Bible tells us about him. Even though we don't hear much about Joseph after Jesus is lost in Jerusalem at the age of 12, we're not really, nothing is heard of him. Many believe that Joseph probably died in an accident or sickness uh, because in the life of Christ, we don't hear about Joseph at all, but we do hear about his brothers and sisters. And in Mark chapter 6, verse 3, there's a list of the siblings of Christ when Jesus was rejected at Nazareth, he goes to his hometown to minister, and the whole town turns on him. In, Matthew, in Mark 6, it says they scoffed, 
And here's what they say about Jesus, that he's just a carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon, and his sisters live right here among us. They were deeply offended and refused to believe. So Jesus had a bunch of brothers and sisters, half-brothers and sisters. These were the sons of Mary and Joseph, and the daughters of Mary and Joseph. And along with the whole town, they refused to believe in Jesus. In John chapter 7, 1 through 5, Jesus is again in Galilee. His, his brothers, his families are around, and his brothers begin to hassle him a little bit. Can you imagine, like, if I were James or any of his brothers and I didn't believe and I, like, gave Jesus a hard time, then after the fact, coming to the realization that he is who he said he is, like, I gave God a wedgie. <laughs> I am done. Like, there's just nothing, you know, there's no coming back from that. You know, if you just think about it, man, poor guys. But in John chapter 7, 1 through 5, it says, After this, Jesus traveled around Galilee, and he wanted to stay out of Judea, where the Jewish leaders were plotting his death. That's a good idea. You know, they're trying to kill me. I'm going to stay away from that area. Verse 2, But soon it was time for the Jewish festival of shelters. And Jesus' brothers said to him, Leave here and go to Judea, where your followers can see your miracles. You can't become famous if you hide like this. If you can do such wonderful things, show yourself to the world. Prove it. Prove it, dude. You think you're so great? You think you're so awesome? You think you're God's chosen one, his little son of God? Go prove it. For even his brothers didn't believe in him. His own family. Now, again, it's commonly believed that Joseph died. So what, the, what that means is that then the oldest son would carry on the family name. And since Jesus was adopted, Jesus would have been the oldest, but the next in line would have been the one to carry on the family name because it would have been a blood relative between Joseph and Mary. And in every record we have of the list of his brothers, James is always listed first. And so scholars believe that James was the oldest one and the one who would carry on the family name. In 1 Corinthians 15, verse 7, Paul is giving a list of the appearances of Christ after he rose from the dead. And here's what it says in verse 7. And then he was seen by who? James. And then later by the other apostles. Jesus makes a special trip to James. I believe it was to redeem his family. From unbelief to being born again. Think about... Think about the faith of Joseph. Joseph was a godly man betrothed to his wife who finds out his wife is pregnant by another man. He has two options. He can either have her stoned to death in the city square or he can keep it quiet and marry her and claim the child as his own. He didn't know what he was going to do until an angel appeared and said, look, the, she's with child from the Holy Spirit. This is, this is God's baby. You, you need to take care of her. And he does it, and he faithfully does it, and he watches over Jesus. He takes care of Mary. He ensures that they have a home. He gets him to Nazareth. He takes him to Egypt because of the dream of the angel says, you need to get out now when 
the babies are being hunted down by Herod. He does everything God calls him to do, brings them back when they're supposed to be brought back, begins to nurture and care for the child that is at least in his life until he's 12 years old. The 12 to 13 is when the uh, young men bar mitzvah, and so that Jesus becomes an adult in that culture, and we don't hear from Joseph again. So either God took him home, something happened, uh, but Joseph's not in the picture anymore. Until that moment, Joseph was faithful to God, and I know that God is faithful to those who are faithful. And I believe what God does here, the Father says, I'm going to honor Joseph's legacy, and we're going to redeem this family line because of the faith of, of Joseph. We're going to see the faith of his entire family in you. And so Jesus shows up to James, and again, jaw-dropping moment. James is mourning his brother's death. Probably in that moment thought, well, you know, he brought this on himself, but still, it's a terrible situation. Jesus appears to James. And James has changed. And when the eldest, the one who carries on the family line, says, this is what we're going to do. This is who we're going to believe in. This is how we're going to worship. The patriarch of the family says, Jesus was who he said he was. And then it's like dominoes. Over and again, you see this person believed, and so did their whole household. Jesus had other brothers and sisters, but we, we know of another, his younger brother, Jude. James not only goes on to become pastor in Jerusalem and writes a letter in the New Testament, Jude also writes a letter in the New Testament. So we can see how the impact of the resurrection of Christ transforms his family's legacy, his family's, uh, the generations of faith. So when we look at these 40 days and we see everything that Jesus is doing as he's appearing, he's not just appearing to say, hey, I have come alive. He's appearing to do specific things. The problem with faithfulness was overcome, faithlessness was overcome by revelation. The problem with forgiveness was overcome by restoration. And the problem with his family was overcome by redemption. And some of you here, a burden on your heart is maybe a family member or many family members who don't believe. Well, if Jesus' family didn't believe, I think you're in good company. But what's the resurrection tell us. The resurrection says there's hope. There's hope. There's hope that even the hardened, most hardened unbelievers, the greatest skeptics, can find hope in Jesus Christ. After these appearances and these victories that Jesus has as he's tying up these loose ends, he gathers his disciples for one final meeting at the Mount of Olives in the city of Bethany, the town of Bethany, and he gives them some parting instructions, and then Jesus ascends to heaven. But just before he is crowned King of kings and Lord of lords, he says in Matthew 28, 18, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of every nation, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. This is our job. This is our mission. This is the co-mission of Christ. We're joining him in his, in his mission that God sent him to do. We're now taking that mantle up as the church. He says, teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I've given you and be sure of this. What's it say? I am with you even to the end of the age. What stopped Israel from being faithful to God? 
after they crossed the Red Sea. It was faithlessness. It was unbelief. Why? Because they didn't know God was with them. They were in a religious system where their works determined their relationship. But here Jesus did the only work that needs to happen. He died on the cross. His blood was shed. Sin was forgiven. Death was conquered. Satan was rebuked. He rose again with all power and authority, and he's promised, I will be with you, and I will never leave you or forsake you. So his final words to us is like, you've got a mission. Go and do it. It doesn't matter what it looks like. It doesn't matter how you feel. It doesn't matter who's against you or who's not with you because I'm alive forevermore and I will never leave you. I'm with you even till the end of the age. When you struggle with faithlessness, there's revelation. When you need forgiveness, there's restoration. And when you battle rejection from those who are closest to you, there is redemption. And no matter what, as we follow him, we can be assured he's always with us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, we thank you for your promises. We thank you for what the resurrection speaks. It's not just a moment, but it's many moments. That every time, every time we face a battle, every time we have a struggle, every time we have a need, we can look to the resurrection of Christ and see that, God, you're faithful, that your power is greater, that you always provide, that you always come through, that there's always hope. You're always the place where we can run. We're never alone. We don't have to doubt. We don't have to worry because you're with us. And Lord, I pray for the heavy-hearted this morning. I pray for those that are, that are struggling, that they've got, they've got some things that they feel guilty about. They've got some shame that, they are, that they're carrying. God, I just pray, Holy Spirit, you begin to touch them right now, and you bring that restoration. You'd help them forgive themselves. Jesus, you've already made it possible. You already showed that God has forgiven them through Christ. They just need to receive that forgiveness. And if you can forgive them, knowing what they were going to do before they ever did it, knowing what was going to happen before it ever happened, and still you loved them, still you called them while we were still sinners, you came and died for us, God, then I pray right now in this moment, you give them the ability and the faith to forgive themselves. God, if there's someone who is battling with faith, God, I pray, Holy Spirit, right now, you begin to reveal Jesus in a new way. That the doubt would leave as the revelation of the risen Christ would begin to fill their heart and mind. And I pray, God, for those who are battling relationships where there's rejection, there's unbelief, there's there are those that don't know you as their Lord and Savior, and, and they're broken over the fact that, that these people are living every day apart from you, knowing that one day that they're going to stand before you, and not knowing that when that day comes, whether they're going to hear, welcome home or depart from me. And Lord, I know just as you honor the faith of Joseph and just as you honor the faith of others, God, I pray that you would honor their faith in you tonight, God, and you begin to 
break off the hardness around the hearts of those people who are far from you. And you begin to soften their heart to the gospel. And you begin to lead them. And I pray, Jesus, just as you appeared to Paul on the road to Damascus, you would appear to even the most hardened individuals, God. And as they gain a revelation of Christ, that they would be saved. That they'd be transformed. They'd be added to your kingdom. And I pray, God, for great boldness to come over your church. That we wouldn't hesitate in opportunities, but God, we would activate our faith in those divine appointments and we would share Jesus with you. God, I pray for the gas station attendant this morning that I had a chance to share you with, Lord, that you would continue to work on his heart. His testimony was that he's tried the world, he's, he's searched for the world, but he's not found any happiness. And he has a family member who's trying to get him back into church. And I just pray for that family member, God, that your presence and power would come upon him, that they would continue to minister and serve him. And I pray, God, that you would lead him to faith in Jesus, that you transform that generation and future generations. God, I pray that today that the story of the resurrection wouldn't become dull or boring, but we would see it afresh today. We'd be encouraged afresh today. And we just thank you for the cross. With every head bowed, every eye closed, no one looking around, I just want to just provide an opportunity for response. If, if you're heavy-hearted and maybe there's, there's some forgiveness you need to give yourself, there's some things that maybe the Spirit's spoken to you during, during the message and you want to come forward and pray, we're going to invite you to come forward and just kneel down before the Lord you're struggling in your faith and you need revelation, come and ask him. If you need forgiveness or help forgiving yourself, come. And one of our prayer team members will be down here and be willing to pray with you. If there's a family member that you know is far from you, that you desperately want to see begin a relationship with Christ, come and pray and intercede for him. And for the next few moments, we're just going to have a time of prayer. And then I'll dismiss us. But whatever God is doing in your heart, you come and you respond. Don't, don't let this moment pass. From all of us at Vertical Life Church, we want to say thank you for listening. If this ministry has blessed you in any way, please consider making a tax-deductible donation to www.blchurch.tv forward slash give. Thank you and God bless.